Hello, welcome to the edited version of Josie and Robin's Book Shambles. If you'd like to hear the full version of this conversation, then you can go to cosmicshambles.com slash bookshambles and become one of our Patreon supporters, uh, which you can do for as little as $1 an episode. That's one US dollar, and obviously it will depend on which of our economies is declining more, uh, how much that actually works out in pounds, uh, euros, etc. And also, if you're a Patreon supporter, we give away a box of books every week to one of our Patreon supporters, and we have more more bonus episodes and bits and pieces. Hello. <laughs> Hello, ladies and gentlemen of cyberspace. <laughs> Welcome. I don't know what I'm doing. I always like that you lose, you did this all the time. Confidence. You, you, you think, yeah, I'm going to do a big introduction, then I'm going to go, who am I and what am I doing? <laughs> I think that's fair. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Robin and Josie's book, Shambles, uh, our continued Southern Hemisphere series. And our guest today is Ursula Carlson, a stand up comedian extraordinaire. Good night. And broadcaster. I am a broadcaster. And author. Author. Rolling with punchlines. Triple threat. Yeah. yeah. The, um, we, I, I want to get a little bit of... Back, now, I've, I've watched TEDx talk and I've watched... Your routine, by the way, about bookmarking arguments is one of my favourite things that oh, I've seen. Oh, thank you. Yeah. That, that moment where you watch something that's kind of observational comedy and you go, oh... Oh yeah, that's the perfect way of describing. Ah, uh, yeah, you know, rather than just going, oh yeah, 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 I saw that. Oh yeah, yeah, you go, oh yeah, that thought. I'm sure that was in my head, but I could never get it out. But you, you have. Yeah, I, I think when I walked off stage that day after it was a gala spot, and I walked off stage, and somebody actually said to me, I can't even remember who it was. It could have been like Fiona Lachlan. She goes. Oh, fuck you. <laughs> she goes, I, that's been sitting there trying to get out and you just did that. So, yeah, but I mean, at the same, like sometimes I listen to other comics, I go, shit, yeah. I've been thinking about something like that for ages and you just nailed it, you asshole. Yeah, well, let's not think of other comics. Let's merely let's, envy yeah. you. Okay, this, yeah. this show is all about envying your Excellent. your, your mind. If everyone um, at home with or the rest of wherever the they are the can put it down and just look at that. Sorry, I got over excited. It's from the gala. It's 2015, isn't it? Or the, or yeah, last year, 2016. Right. Yeah. It's, it's about just, the way that, yeah, go on. We, we, couple, the way couples argue. So yeah. I go, like, gay couples, like, I've got a wife. So the way we argue, we haven't spoken in years because we're both really good at silent treatment. <laughs> but then when you see straight couples, how guys aren't, um, you know, they don't know what they're doing. And women are so good at it because we're not vindictive bitches. We're just really good at bookmarking stuff. Like we assess, we go, I don't have time or energy to finish it right now. So I'll, I'll bookmark it for later. Put a pin in it. Put it in the, in the library for later. And then you see them in the car arguing. And you, you know they're arguing in the car because you see them in the rear view mirror and the guy looks like he's on a little holiday. And the woman looks like a fox terrier eating peanut butter. And then <laughs> you just know she's whipped out the bookmark and she's going full hog at it. And in 2013, you said the following things, which I thought at the time was this, but no. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. <laughs> That's yeah. On that, the, talking about the straight covers thing, I just thinking today there's uh, there's been this thing about Mike Pence uh, mm. and uh, being wary of, uh, the reason I think about this is because I saw someone tweet going straight couples, huh? And it was about there's a, a, a U.S. author. I think his name was well, not really an author. There's an idiot who's put some sentences together and bound them. Yeah. Um, and he's got and it's loads of people sided with Mike Pence going, yeah, men. Once you're married, why would you want to hang around with women? Yeah, why would you? And want this to have- is and. 
you can try. You can't argue because obviously the moment that you're there going, I'm in a room with a woman, the and, and the urges. <laughs> it's, it's like when you hear the fundamentalist Christians sometimes going, you know, well, you know, I'm glad that I've got God because I don't know what I'd do if I didn't have Him to stop me. And then yeah. you go, no, that doesn't talk about humans. Yeah. That <laughs> talks about you. you being a monster. Yeah. You're a loser. <laughs> because I'm fine. Up. Most of the time I just walk around and it yeah. doesn't. I, I, yeah, there was this thing. There were threads of people saying basically, I I wouldn't ever go for dinner with one person of the opposite sex, which is in itself like, firstly, super paranoid. Secondly, so such a bleak viewing of human nature, and thirdly, like so heteronormative entirely in how it like perceives the world. Like, yeah. but of course, another man would never be a threat to me or anything. You know, yeah. it's just like, well, oh, she just built some soup down her front. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Do I wipe it or not? What are you doing? No, you don't wipe it. What are you talking about? Can I just say to people listening that Robin just did a very funny mime, oh, yeah. <laughs> which you'll never get to enjoy. No. That's anyway. actually what a lot of people say. They go, I presume, because Josie's so good on this podcast, that all <laughs> Robin stuff must be funny mimes that don't really translate. Um, it's not fair. So uh, um, it's really bizarre, though, isn't it? That yes. we haven't... Because some of the things that you've talked about in stand-up yeah. as well, when you talk about things like same-sex marriage as well, and these things that certainly debates uh, in... Because you, you're based in New Zealand now, for yeah. those who don't know, originally from South Africa, and then... But why do you think... it? What is it that takes it so long? Because it seems to be a very small... Talking to people in Australia, most of them seem to go, it's a really small group of people yeah. who... Like, no. honestly, you talk to anyone, even politicians, they go, just push it through. Mm. Just what is the yeah. issue? Marriage equality of today is the segregation of the 50s. You just know in 20 years from now, people are going to look back, even politicians and go, no, I think um, I was misunderstood at the time <laughs> and I always wanted it to go through. But then, you know, it's going to happen. Just mm. stop fighting the urge to block it and just push it through. There's and, literally no, nothing stopping you. Yeah, exactly. And also you can look to part, like all over the world and be like, look, everything is fine. Nothing has <laughs> happened. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I don't, I don't understand when that, because you know what? It comes down to those handful of conservative voters and they don't want to lose that vote. Like they don't want to push the boat out and, and, you know, stand a chance of alienating those people. Meanwhile, 80% is on the other side going, um, excuse us, we don't give a shit. <laughs> Just do it. Like it's literally, it, it's a storm in a teacup. It might upset people for a week and then they don't even think about it anymore. Or like it won't even be that. They'll change their minds. They'll literally yeah. be like, oh, it's really empty it. But then I'll start to think some beautiful photographs of people in love. And then, do you know what? I think I was wrong. It's like, thanks, yeah. mate. You slowed yeah. everyone down by 10 years. Yeah, exactly. Or you know what? It, it literally is one of those things when you're at home at night and you go, I cannot be fucked to go out. I do not want to go out tonight. And then you finally decide, I'm going out. And you have the time of your life. Yeah. That's it. You just need to go to one gay wedding and, you know, get your jig on and drink too much vodka martinis. And you'll be sweet. You'll be supporting that life out of it. We should get on to books. Um, yeah, we, should. we should start off with your book, in fact, then. So you've this is it's kind of a memoir. Yes. Uh, and it's dealing with... I mean, you you... So you, your life starts in South Africa, and yeah. then there was, you know, a huge change where you just went, yeah. Yeah, where I just start. I sort of had a moment where I go, oh, because I don't believe in living with regret. So anything that comes up, I'll give it a go. So I was living in South Africa, then I got the opportunity to go to the States. So I went, yeah, all right. So I went, I didn't know anyone, like, 
oh, it was sort of one of the most powerful but scariest feelings in my life, getting off the plane in New York, knowing I didn't know one person in that entire country. Wow. And nobody knew me. So it was scary, but it was also amazing knowing that I didn't care what anyone thought or said or because it was just me. But then because it was just me, I sort of also had the responsibility, I felt, to sort of be better kind of thing. But So did yeah. you find that you were a slightly different version of yourself under those circumstances? Yeah, because I, I was 23 when wow. I went over. And then all of a sudden I was like, okay, I'm an adult now. You know, <laughs> like you, you think you're an adult when you turn 21 or whatever or 19, you sort of have that, oh, you you know, everyone makes a big fuss and even in the cars it says you're an adult. But I never truly felt like an adult till I went overseas by myself and I got off the plane and I'm like, okay, this is all up to me. There's no backup plan. I can't ring mum and go, can you shoot <laughs> me a hundy? I'll quickly stop by. Nothing, you know, it's all up to you. So that was kind of, but I really enjoyed that. I enjoyed that. You know, sort of just, I just have to rely on myself. Yeah, did, did a bit of traveling and went back to South Africa and then decided to immigrate and move to New Zealand. That bit where you leave your kind of, you know, hometown. Yeah. And the sense of freedom, I suppose, where you go, everything that has defined, you know, certain things that may have happened in your past, you know, whether it's the way that you old school um, yeah. friends or enemies or whatever, all of those different things that yeah. are, are defined, you, you can kind of go right well I don't need those anymore yeah. and people don't look at me and go oh that's the person who did this yeah that, that pre it's amazing that's like, that it's free you're free of everything it's a clean slate 100% and I think it's kind of once you once you have that feeling it's almost a little addictive because then when I moved from when I arrived in the states and I had that no one knows there's mm. no they're not going to have, like you say, that predetermined where they go, oh, you're the one that, you know, did this or bedwetted till you were 16, hashtag that's not me. But, you know, like, <laughs> no, like people have a picture and there's nothing, or they even know your siblings and they make up their mind about you. So when I went to the States, I was like, oh, this is great. But then from there I went to the UK and I had the same. I'm like, again, no one knows me. Because I was just supposed to have a 12 hour stopover in London and then I extended it for four months and I lived in Cardiff. <laughs> <laughs> and then I just, it was great. No one knew me and I had that same buzz of, this is awesome. I can do whatever I want. I can be whoever I want. No one knows. They don't know that I'm not good at hurdles or whatever. You know, I could potentially do that. I, I can't run hurdles, but I could have. You know, they don't know that. Well, it's good that we're ready now. We've learned two things. You didn't bed wet till you were 16 and you can't do hurdles. Yeah. And that's, a, that's how we're yeah. slowly putting together elimination. our, you know, exactly. photo fit. Well, I'm really good existence. at scram making scramble eggs. So Because I feel I've given you two, two things negatives. that are potentially negative. But well, I think not wetting your bed... Very positive. It's really positive. I, I, I don't see that. I, 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 again, now we've found that there may well be a peccadillo involved. So everything's changing. Um, what about the books that when, when you were growing yeah. up and whereabouts were you in, in South Africa? Benoni, which is half an hour east of Johannesburg. Okay. Yeah. So. And what kind of a place is that? It's, um, I think you would describe it as a shithole. <laughs> it's an it's a old mining town, but there's no more mining. All the mining have dried up. So. People basically just commute from there to places to work. So if you live there, you basically have up to an hour's drive to go to work. So, I mean, there is stuff that you could work in retail or whatever. 
and bemoaning, but there's not not a lot going on. Well, we were talking with someone the other day about things like, in terms of creativity, boredom. You don't realise it when you're a kid. Mm. But when you, you know, if you are now being creative, you think that probably came out of living somewhere small where nothing happened mm. yeah. and you didn't necessarily want to hang around with some of the other kids. So you go, ah, oh, I'm going to have to just stay in here then. Yeah. And while I'm in here, I might as well make some stuff up. Totally. I mean, did that have, I mean, for instance, I, I know a lot of people that we've spoken to from who have lived kind of in smaller town stuff where there isn't much going on. Things like the library become very important, various different places, you know, that place yeah. where you can go into someone else's mind. Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. And where we lived, because we lived quite far out. So in, in primary school, after school, we'd have to walk to the library. And then my mum worked across the road at the municipal buildings you know um, so we'd wait at the library for her and we'd just do our homework in the study little blocks that they had and then I would just sit there and read so and then five o'clock my mum would meet us at the car kind of thing so I basically spend five years of my life every day after school going to the library doing my homework and reading and uh, you know the, it's great because you have to be quiet so as a kid, to have that sort of three hours of enforced silence, you know, you don't realise that when you're older you go, but even now I love it. Going to the library, and especially in Melbourne, they've got an amazing library. Oh, State Library of Victoria, come on. Oh, I've oh. written more shows in that library than I have because it's like it's my happy place. It's yeah. quiet. It's amazing. It, just the smell. And do you find that when you travel around, you look for good libraries? Because yeah. I, I, like, I keep thinking I was in Brooklyn Public Library quite a lot last mm. year. And again, it's there's, because it's like cathedrals. It's so beautiful and yeah. deliberately, like obviously deliberately so, intentionally built to make you feel like you're in a sacred, beautiful place. Yeah. Oh, my God. And so and the vibe is almost always the same. Yes, yes. It yeah. never changes from 10 years. No. You yeah. can go into a library in Germany and it'll have the same vibe as a library in Johannesburg. Yes. You know, language, none of that stuff comes in. Like, because people are like, It's amazing. Although I should also say that in the Brooklyn Public Library, there's a pie and coffee shop down in the bottom. So you can buy a big piece of really, really sugary pie yeah. and then go upstairs and try and read and then fall asleep after like an hour. That's great. It's incredible. That's Preston um, has one of the best. Does it? Yeah. Preston Is it an old in, school in, one? in Lancashire in, in, in the north of England. There was one where I'd never been there before. I arrived early for a gig. If I arrive early for a gig, I try. And there's just this building, which again, that, that moment where you go, whoever built that went, what should be the most just huge thing that goes, there's books in here. Yeah. And we're going to stick some art at the top as well. Sheffield has the Graves Gallery as well yeah. and their library. And that bit where you, and they've got a Foucault pendulum uh, hanging down from it. So it was, you know, some guy went, do you know what? I've made loads from selling tea. <laughs> and I'm going to make a great big bloody library. I wish and that I people did that now. I know we've sort of lamented this, but I really wish that when people got rich, they were like, I'm going to invest in public buildings so people glorify me, as opposed to just like my Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> Do you find that, just thinking of the, the book love thing, where when we were on the plane yesterday or the day before yesterday, that moment where you see someone reading a book that you like yeah. and you think, I really want to. There was a woman reading the John yeah. Saunders book, yeah, which yeah, I yeah. haven't started yet. And I, I want to go, mm, hello, I just want to, how's the book going? And then you think, <laughs> most people will probably just think you're mad. 
yeah. that you're not allowed to, or that it will be some kind of weird bibliophilic flirtation. And it's not. You just want to go. That book's been really interesting to me as well. You know, and- yeah, I do. I interact with people. There was a lady at the lights today. I was on my way for breakfast, and um, as I started crossing the lights, she was holding a book, and I go. A reader, hey? <laughs> and she looks at me, she goes, I am. I go, you don't get many of those. And then a cyclist nearly killed us. But I, like, I, you still see it, not a lot. But when you do see a kid reading a book, you sort of stop and look at it. You're like, look at that. Mm. I've got friends with a 10-year-old son. He's always reading. But real books, not Kindle, not, you know, on a proper book, on holiday, sitting in a lounger by the pool with a book. Yes. Like, what is this? Nineteen eighty-five. That's amazing. That's my life. It's is your house because you've got two kids. Have you got? Is it the kind of house where they're going to grow up and they're going to be happy with? Because we were talking about this the other day as well, mm. which is sometimes I go into a house and I go, they have one shelf of books, Ooh, and those are all the they're, they're all airport books. They're not books that have required any real effort or investigation mm. or excitement. They've gone need book, know that cover, yes book. And immediately, I know that I will never really be friends with them. But what and if they, they have a Kindle? Say, no, do you, do you judge no, 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 a Kindle? no. Because the Kindle is—it's uh, an extra bit for reading, but it's not the main element of reading. No, that's so sort if, of the add-on. Like you can buy a book. Like I've got the book, but then I've also got the audio book of the same book. Because sometimes, if I'm busy or if I'm out or whatever, I'll listen to the audio. Like I just finished Tina Fey's book. But I'm listening to it on audio too because I'll finish it. But I wanted to hear it in her voice, yeah. so then I get the especially audio. when it's comedians. I think yes, it's I think it's good to have it in their voice. Yeah, but yeah, no, you need the actual copy too. That's how I feel. You need to have that, and with kids especially, you're not going to get them into it if you just read it off the thing. Oh yeah, that makes sense. Like that's part of the thing at night. Where I'll say to my three year old, I go, go pick a book, and she'll go through her. Um, you know a bookcase and she'll pick one or is the gingerbread man at the moment but like she'll pick a book and she'll go this one and some nights it's a big one some nights it's you know but she likes the actual touch of a book and you know even now when I said to her okay we're going to Melbourne for five weeks go pick five toys to take with you and put it in your bag and when we got to Melbourne there were three books and two Wonder Woman toys so it's like that it's part of her it's her toys. She doesn't see it as a, you know, it's a necessity. She needs it with her. So if it's just on Kindle. Yeah, she can't do that. No. Can't Have you like... tried Stinky Cheese Man yet? No. Oh, the Stinky Cheese Man. Another uh, other fairly stupid tales. It's fantastic. Oh, it's uh, It was done by the same guys who did Glasses Who Needs Them, which is a very good uh, pro-glasses book. My sister was saying that they, some fairy tales have been updated to make them too nice, yeah. In them now, moder- like more conventional ones. Is that is that me being too like? And they won't let you celebrate Christmas. Like it's not it's not a nonsense Daily Mail thing, is it? Well, it's the Disneyfication, isn't it? Yeah. Which is most Disney movies don't have the same. Yeah, the Little Mermaid being the classic example. Everything turned out fine. No, it didn't. No, it ended very sadly. What happens mermaid. in the proper? Um, I think she just ends up as this kind of mute and alone girl, doesn't yeah. she? Yeah. Yeah. Story of my life. <laughs> Maybe the second bit, but not the first. You're verbose, and we're very pleased with that as well, generally. Um, 
No, I think I think there is something about that. I mean, I love the the bleak tales, but I do think sometimes you read something and go, maybe there could have been some balance between <laughs> yeah. you know, there's shock-headed Peter or Struelpeter, Struel still Peter, my favourite. Yeah. Which is, do you know that one? No. They are all, so it starts off with uh, little Johnny Sucker Thumb. Yep. And uh, the long-legged uh, red scissor wow. man comes and uh, snips his fingers off. Uh, then there's Johnny See? Head in Air. He falls over the uh, end of the, the canal. pier. Uh, Augustus, he will not eat his soup. He will not eat his soup. Well, he dies. Just fades uh, away. Jeez. It's from like the early 20th century. No, yeah, no, early 19th century. Hein- no. Hein- Heinrich Hoffman. Um, <laughs> who were your, uh, when you were reading in the library, were yep. there certain books where you thought, ah, these are my aspirations. These are the characters that in- inspired you. Yes, but see, the thing is, because I grew up in South Africa and I'm Afrikaans speaking, so it's all Afrikaans books. So it's kind of hard to, but the books that I would read was stuff like, um, you know, it's always like the the underdog coming good and Hmm. winning at the end. You know, it's that kind of thing. It's sort of the um, dirty dancing, but without the, you know. Um, So it's all like, you know. I think because as a kid growing up in a small town and not being, you know, well off, that's why we had to sit in the library and not in aftercare. So, you know, sort of you look at stuff and you go, I need something that's going to lift me up, you know. Mm. It's almost like motivational stuff but in fiction. So I would read stuff like that. And what kind of stuff uh, do you like to read now? Like have have you got any things that have been your long-term favourites? No, I, I literally just like to read autobiographies of different people from even people that I have no clue who they are. Huh. You know, I just, I'll pick any autobiography and just read it. At the moment, I'm going through quite a, a strong comedy. Everyone, Dawn French, you name it, and I'm going through these. Um, I think mainly because I started doing it when I r- wrote my book. So I wanted to see how they you know sort of wrote these but and now I'm kind of stuck on reading it you know when you go through a phase but I love anything political um, figures from Hillary to Oprah any one of them did you see a pattern when you were reading the the, because the the book that I'm working on at the moment is kind of trying in some ways to get rid of some of the cliches because I think with comedians very often there is and I think you were saying Hannah Gadsby her show is kind of dealing with artists as well Mm. in terms of this idea that we have a a level of experience or possible Mm. uh, suffering that turns you into being someone who wants to create and and wants to say look what I've made in my head but the, the, I think a lot of other people have that experience too. But, uh, you know, it's, I think Pendulette said the thing is it's it's show business. So people show. We we show. Yeah. And, and I know Spike Milligan talked about the idea that the reason people talk about comedians and misery is not that there are more comedians who are miserable, but that it shows up like an ink stain on a white shirt. Because yeah. if you if your life is going, hey, everyone, have fun, yeah. when people then find out that sometimes you felt miserable because yeah. the other side of you is going, hey... Then people go, oh, that's very tragic. Whereas yeah. people are having a dull life anyway, and they're also miserable. You go, yeah, yeah well, it's not much of a contrast, is it? <laughs> yeah. That's not as much fun. Yeah. So I wonder if you've seen any kind of, I mean, for Dawn French, of course, there's some, some you know, very tragic things in, in, in yeah. her life. Um, yeah, there's, there's a few where I, you know, it's all sort of, I don't want to say similar, but it is kind of similar. Like, I feel we all sort of have the same base, you know, and then we just, however we, it's like we all are sponge cake. 
<laughs> and then we get to decorate it. And some of them just go for the plain, you know, butter icing, and then other people try and dress their cake up a lot fancier than. But at the end of the day, we're all the sponge cake. That's like the um, the Bake Off version of John Locke. It's like <laughs> you start out with your basic sponge and see how you can decorate it. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So yeah. you see the the sponge as the blank slate, then. Yeah, and yeah. then yeah, blank sheet of paper, blank sponge. Yeah, yeah. No, I like that. The um. Who have you particularly, is, is there any, I mean, one of my favourite stand-up uh, autobiographies is probably Steve Martins. I don't yeah. know if you've read that. Oh, yeah. I've read that a couple of times because it's so good. And I, because um, it's the same as the, if you can relate to something in it. And because he had really bad stage fright and the just the the turmoil, really, before he actually got on stage, because I get really bad stage fright. Um like when I'm backstage, it's almost like I try and talk myself out of going on to stage. I'm like, what the hell are you doing? You've got a different skill set. You don't need to do this. You <laughs> can go, you know. Um, but then once I'm on stage, it's almost like that that true love-hate relationship. Like I hate that I feel that I can't go out. But then once I'm out, I love it so much. I'm like, I'm, I want to do this again right now like I want to yeah. repeat the experience immediately it's like when you're a smoker you're like I need to give this up this is awful and then you finish a cigarette and you go but that one was so good I'm quickly gonna have another one <laughs> you know or even coffee lollies whatever your thing is and you know it's not great but but then while I'm on stage I'm like this is amazing um but then tomorrow night I go through the same so it was kind of nice to see that he went through that too you know and yeah. just that questioning and it was great. When you started, you you yours was kind of a, a you were pushed into it. Yeah. By your the job peer, you were doing. Yeah. Hang on. Basic happened? peer pressure. That's your bog standard. I I used to work in advertising okay. as a designer and a photo retoucher, but we'd sit in these pods, you know, where you've got a creative and a copywriter and everything, and um. They'd always go, you should do stand-up. I go, no, thanks. Like, I'm already nailing life with a really good job. I don't need to do something else. And they go, no, no, you should do stand-up. And then I moved from one agency to the next. And they, as a leaving gift, they gave me this coffee machine and a fake contract to go do an open mic night. <laughs> but they had they'd set up this fake contract for me that I had to sign, you know, sort of to get me to commit to doing it. But they had booked seats for about 70 of them. To come along. Oh my night. God! I know that's full on peer pressure. Mm. So that's so harsh. So we were standing around on the Friday, leaving drinks, and then you know a few speeches, and they brought brought out the card, and inside the card is this contract, and they go, "We've got a little surprise for you. We've booked you in. We've got seventy of us going. Yeah, just sign there to say you're going." Blah blah blah. And uh, I sort of signed it. I thought I'd only been in the country for a couple of years, and I didn't want to look like a dick. So I went, "Yeah, all right, I'll go." And then um, that was the Friday. So the Monday I went and I did this open mic spot and they were all there and people were laughing. And at the end, it was the scariest thing I've ever done. Then at the end, we were having a few drinks and um, I went home. I got a call the next day from the owner of the club to say that I'm through to Sorry. the next round. And I go, what's that? And he says, oh, it's Raw Quest, where they look for new talent during the <laughs> festival. I go, oh, that's great. But um, I, I don't do comedy. Like, I did that because it was a work thing. But give it to someone that's interested. And he goes, people were laughing. It were really funny. I go, mate, 
people were laughing because I knew 70 people in that audience. And, like, and he goes, I was in that audience. I laughed. I don't know you. Oh. And he goes, why don't you come back? Um, give yourself the opportunity to give a good crack at it. And I was like, oh, damn it. Because now I'm going to have to go back because I don't want to one day regret not yeah. doing it. So the way to get you to do anything is to go, well, of course, you'll regret it if you don't. Yeah, that's basically it. Because oh I don't God. say, no, I'm living Jim Carrey's Yes Man movie. <laughs> You're so. lucky that you don't know know me that well because I'd be like, you should get me a salad because if you don't, imagine how much you'll regret not seeing the salad place. <laughs> Genius. Yeah, I mean, there's limits to it. I'll call bullshit on you. <laughs> but yeah, so... I. I went back, I did it again, mm-hmm. and then... Yeah, that was in just, South Africa? No, in New Zealand. Oh, wow. Yeah, it just kind of took off from there. Huh. And, um, yeah, people kept booking me for gigs. I won Best Newcomer, and it's just kind of, you know, taken so, on a life of its own. That's hilarious. So you really did fall into it. Yeah. And then at, at one point, my boss said, because I kept doing festivals, I thought that everyone just goes and does festivals. That's mm-hmm. what comedy is. And uh, I owed them so many days in leave at work that if I had resigned, I would have to pay them money. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, so my boss calls me in and he said, you have to choose, it's either comedy or advertising. And well, I'm not here because of my advertising experience. Am I? So um, I said, well, I'll have to think about it. And then they made me redundant because the recession hit. So I got a payout, which sort of kept us going for about four months. Um, and then comedy in the meantime had just taken off. It was great. When you were writing the the book, the Rowing yeah. with Punch, what was the? How much did you find out about yourself? A lot, a lot. Because even stuff that I thought I knew, uh, you know, you don't even question stuff that has happened in your life. But then, when I started writing the book, because my mum and my brother and my sister now all live in New Zealand too, and I'd go, "Hey guys, I want to write this bit." into the book like we'd have dinner and I go you know that bit where um you know we all went to the river whatever and then I tell the story and my brother goes yeah but that's not what happened and then he told his version of what happened and my sister goes that's not what happened and then she would tell her version but of course we were all say under the age of 10 and my mom goes yeah actually what really happened and then she'd give us so it was sort of weird to get just all those different perspectives because yeah. you you remember everything but like when it happens so you, you have memories as a seven-year-old so it's almost like you're looking up at the kitchen counter and you're saying what you can see on the kitchen counter but then your mum's looking from a different angle and she's saying what she can see on the kitchen counter your brother's standing on the other side of the kitchen and he's saying what he can see we're all looking at the kitchen counter but we're all seeing different things mm. so just to and then when I started writing too, the amount of stuff that come back to you that you remember that you go, wow. And I I put it all in the book because I thought I, I've read so many biographies from people now that I go, I can't stand when I finish with one and you put it down and you go, I've learned nothing. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. You know, when the, like the first two chapters are all about how they shouldn't have taken on the project. The minute you start reading an autobiography and they go, oh, I'm really so busy. I probably shouldn't have taken this on. What? When I said to a lot of Who them. Who oh. that? Go on. No. I, I can't be well, to read them all to public. find them. <laughs> There's a few. There's, um, Amy Poehler's book starts like that. No. Oh, does it? I haven't yeah. read that one yet. The first two chapters is all about how she's too busy. Um, no, I, that's it, it's like a... 
a book about like a film about making a film yeah and wanting to do something or a show about trying to but put then on the saying show how you'd rather not do it no that's basically like she goes who would sign up to do something when you're so busy i'm f- directing this i'm doing you know saying all the other things she's doing that you probably should not have taken on this project so it's like okay i understand maybe they said sixty thousand minimum words so now you're crapping on for five thousand words on why you shouldn't do it to kill the amount I, um but then at the end you go um so i i actually haven't finished her book yet because there's a few of them that start like that where you go i can't i need a little break from you you know and you put it down and you start with someone else's and then you try and go back and you're like oh this is why this is hard to read and then so when i started my book i thought i don't want that I want people to know stuff at the end to feel like they've learned something mm. about me or at least sort of I've opened the door so you may as well show them in mm. um you know in for a penny in for a pound that kind of thing so when I started because I I don't even give interviews to women's magazines or any of that I think it's you know nobody's business really but then if people are going to buy the book I've agreed to do it so then do it so, and you can do it in your way as well. Yes, you don't exactly. Need to not yeah, through some weird, you know, or me and my family sitting on a bed with white linen, with blue jeans and white shirts. You know, they do those photo shoots. <laughs> so I, I just told the story, but I, I, I needed to get input from my family. So the stuff that came out was just amazing. I was like, wow, that I can't remember any of that. But then you know, or your version of it. So then I've sort of had to put it together with all four of us, a collaboration on some of the stories in there. Yeah. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you, you say you don't really do interviews that are kind of personal stuff. So mm. when you'd written your book, did you have a period where you felt really vulnerable? Yeah. And how did that play out? Like what happened? Well, I, because my dad's a real shit, right? So I thought I'm going to write about it in the book. And then while I was writing the book, he got really sick. And yeah, then it's like, okay, now I'm reassessing, like it doesn't change anything. He's still a shit. Uh, And right through the book, like when I started, I I even said in there, because it was almost like a conversation. I mean, so I go, I might talk about him. I'm not sure. We'll see how the book develops if I'm going to talk any more about him. I've said my piece in the beginning about growing up with him and what it was like. And then later on, I go, this is what's happening. Like I, I had a chapter as I was writing the book, I had sort of this chapter 13 kind of going the whole time developing as I write. So I kept this bit going where I go, he's now got cancer. He's now in hospital. He, he's now really ill. And then um, I, I literally, I had sent the book in uh, to the publishers and then I called it back two weeks later because he'd actually passed away and I, I said I need to finish so the chapter on it. Yeah, I need yeah. to finish the chapter on him I go give me the book back so I can finish it so I I finished that and then I thought when I sent it in I just had a moment where I thought I'm happy for people to read it 
but I don't want people to discuss it with me. Sure. You know, when you just have that moment where you go, everyone knows, but nobody talks about it. Okay? <laughs> you know, sort of, it's almost like, you know, when you something happens in your household, but you're going for Christmas dinner with a whole extended family, and then one of you rush up first, and you go and you go, okay, guys, they're all in the car, they're coming in, but nobody talk about <laughs> it, all right? Nobody talks about the 16-year-old bed wedding, all right? <laughs> <laughs> And then you get them in and, know, you know, everyone's sort of, hi, and they want to talk about it. But that's kind of the, I thought, I don't, I want to talk about it. Like, I feel I need to talk about it, but I don't want to individually discuss it. it later. But now the book's been out for almost, almost a year. So I'm like, I'm okay with it now. I'm sort of, it's okay to talk about it. That's interesting. Yeah. But I did feel like... Even I did, I didn't realize I felt as strongly about it. And it's sort of when I was writing it, I just went because it was just me in a room typing up, you know, uh, and going through my own memories and my own feelings and all this. But then when I did my first reading, it was in a public, there was like 300 people, there were 10 other authors, and you know, a mixture of us poets. And and, um, they had asked that I read this bit about my dad. So as soon as I started reading, I started breaking down and I thought, oh, I can't read this. I didn't realize. But once I was facing other people, I couldn't say it in a public arena. Well, it's a really different thing, isn't it? Because the writing process, you're solitary and you're kind of you don't really you're not entirely connected to the way that it's going to be received when you're doing it. Do you think that if it hadn't been like that, you like if somebody had said, right, you need to do stand up about this thing that you would never have been able to kind of talk in that way do you think yeah. that level of remove gave you the chance to do yeah it? definitely yeah i wouldn't have if somebody had said can you do that and stand up i go no i just i can't but that um like when i sat down to write the book i didn't once i didn't feel that pressure to be funny i just thought i'm i'm opening up i'm just having a conversation mm. with someone um and i mean reading someone's book is so personal isn't it it almost feels like like i remember meeting janie godley um and then reading her book yeah and then the next time i saw her i i remember going up and giving her a hug and she was like hi (laughs) in my mind i had that moment that people have where they go where i go oh my god i feel like i know you so well because i read your book i reread your book and now you know um, okay, since we are now at a level where I can go up and hug her, but that's sort of, and I just, the same, I thought, I'm just, just be honest, have an honest conversation and say, you know, like I'll just give you a glimpse of this is what happened growing up, this is what happened moving over. Shit was hard sometimes, shit was funny sometimes, yeah, yeah. you know. Um, and, and has it changed it. the way you write your stand up now? Do you feel like you're more open on stage than you were? No, I don't ha. think that has changed yet. I'm not saying it won't in future. Mm-hmm. Even last night while I was on stage, when the I thought, oh, the style that I write in was exactly the same as last year's. You know, <laughs> sort of the recipe stays the same. That's interesting. I find, yeah, yeah I, I've definitely noticed that about my shows and I've been very frustrated this year about it, actually, yeah. where I was like, oh, I see what I do now. I yes. like go, here's some problems. I'm mired in them. And then at the end, I'm like, but, you know, yeah. and I really, really wanted to mix it up. And yeah. I, I think it's very hard to, like, change a... 
but a stand-up writing style over yeah, an hour. But I think it's good when you can recognise it. Mm. When you go, oh, because if you don't recognise how you do it, you don't know how to change it. Yeah, that's you know? true. Yeah, so I think it's good. I think it's sort of a turning point. Because while I'm on stage, I go, I think I did exactly this format last year. You know, do 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 crowd participation do 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 boom <laughs> thank you for coming <laughs> the, yeah. uh, we better wind up right the uh that jenny godley's books yeah. fascinating isn't it, 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 is. it, it she is when you read that you do actually then the context of watching her changes yes even that even when she's just doing normal stand-up which is you know not about those things it's doing hands hands in the dark isn't it That's yep. the, uh, yeah yeah but um, i also find Janie godley to be a fascinating and somewhat magical human being yeah like because she's got this air to her that she's a little bit psychic yeah like she's one of those people that you're like obviously none of us believe in psychic phenomena because we're skeptics and stuff but at the same time yeah it's so exciting if she she's she very perceptive you like yeah, I believe I that. do believe it. Yeah. She's very perceptive and very knows so much about kind of human beings. Yeah, she's also funny and crazy. And yeah. But see, that's the, if you listen to a stand-up, because you've read the book, you go, I know what has made you hard or I know what has made mm. you understanding or yes. I know. Yeah. If you feel like you've had a personal glimpse into her, like you grew up with her. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's great. And also when she doesn't really give a shit and you think a little bit like Joe Brand as well. Yeah. Where, you know, Joe Brand having been a mental health nurse and kind of yeah. faced up a anything that is shouted at her or any kind of thing. No, they've seen worse. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so they can really destroy people. Yes. Um, thank you very much. Yeah, thanks. And thank have you. a... Uh, and then are you doing... Are you not coming to Edinburgh? Or? I am. You are? I'm when doing are you, when... Edinburgh for the first time. Brilliant. Are you? Yeah. you first time. Yeah. Um, um, for the entire time, I'm going to be at assembly room somewhere. Nice. Oh, yeah, that's lovely. Yeah. Also, what's fun with that is, because it, it, it's your first time, people will think, oh, this is a debutante. Yeah. And then actually it's like, nah, mate, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> oh, no, you that's get That's a great thing you'll get. It's like the, you know, American comics who've been going about 30 years yeah. and they come over with their best hour of 30 years of stand-up. Yeah. The yeah. thing is, they never come back a second time. <laughs> yeah. uh, not, not with you, but... Uh, yeah. The, uh, oh, yeah. um, I what no, stop now. Okay, sorry. Thank you very much. The, Bye. Uh, yeah. Yes, thanks. So you're going to be at Edinburgh, Edinburgh uh, Fringe Festival, and uh, Run with the Punchlines is also available. Thanks. Yes. Sorry, thank that was you. a really harsh end no. because we've really run out of time. And as always, we wouldn't be able to make this show without the support of our Patreon supporters. So a big thanks to all of you. And this week we would like to give thanks to Andrew Smith, Howard Thomas France. It's probably Thomas France, but that doesn't work in this accent. Sorry about that, Howard. Layla Keith, Alex Beasley, Catherine Rodriguez, Michaela Hart, Neil Redmond and Ruth Gertig. And the winner of the box of books this week is Katie Lowe. Katie Lowe, if you want to get in touch with us by sending an email to contact at cosmicshambles.com, we can make sure we get the box of books out to you very soon. As well as Book Shambles, there are other podcasts to be found at cosmicshambles.com, including Speakeasy, uh, the Q&As that uh, Professor Brian Cox and I did on the first part of our UK tour, and there may well be some from the later tours as well. You can find those at Brian Q&A, uh, as well as documentaries and web series that are coming up very, very soon. That's all at cosmicshambles.com. Don't forget, if you'd like to check on the reading list for this particular episode or any episodes or indeed find out other guests that we've had on, the full list of both those things is at cosmicshambles.com slash bookshambles. 
This podcast is part of the Cosmic Shambles Network. Josie Robbins' book Shambles was produced by Trent Burton of Trunkman Productions. Good